0: When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. We look for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, but behold, terror. The way of peace they have not known, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. For we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased.
1: Good morning. What a time to be talking about peace. Did anybody watch the news this week or listen to the news? I don't know if we uh, have seen a lot of peace in our culture and in our world as of late. Uh, I know last night I was laying in my bed. It was Uh, Late in the evening, I was trying to go to sleep as is my habit on Saturday nights to try to get to bed a little bit early, get a good night's rest, and I won't indict one of my children, but I will say it was one of my sons, and um, yeah, uh, that leaves one of them off the hook. Uh, (laughs) I was in my bed, and as I was trying to rest and uh, close my eyes, I heard this, uh, Ah, like over and over again. Now, you have to understand the ice machine on our refrigerator has been broken for months. It hasn't worked. Every child in the house knows that it does not work. But when one of your children wears uh, headphones on his head that are noise canceling, and everyone's asleep in the house and he's standing in front of the ice machine trying to get ice out of it. When everyone's trying to sleep, it really, really disrupts your peace. <laughs> and, and my peace was very much disrupted. Uh, But we are enjoying some times uh, over the next few weeks where we're focusing on some of these words related to this time of year. Related to the advent, to the coming of the Messiah. And last week we talked about hope. Pastor Jim opened up our advent series talking about hope. And this week we are talking about peace. And what a video. When I saw that intro video this week, I thought... Wow, that is perfect, because it, I don't know if you caught it or not in the tone of the person who was speaking. There wasn't much peace. It was rushed. It was hard. It was full. It was coming at you hundred miles an hour. And in so many ways, it is indicative of the culture that we live in today. There are people wandering around and maybe people that you even work with and spend time with. Maybe people that you inhabit space with regularly that are going around saying, oh, peace, peace, peace. We know very little of peace. And so as we enter into the text today, as we enter into the word and we're going to be bouncing around the scriptures today, looking at this theme of peace in the life of Christ, we really want to unpack and explore the answer to six questions together this morning. We want to look at the cultural realities related to peace that existed at the birth of Jesus. What was the culture like that Jesus was born into? We want to explore the kind of peace that the people of God were looking for. What were Jesus' people looking for when he came? We we seek to understand why peace is such an important component of the Messiah's birth narrative. We want to see how peace is associated or attached to the earthly ministry of Jesus and look at why peace is is an elusive ideal, both back then and still even today. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly of all that we'll look at this morning, we want to know how might the patterns of Jesus' life in this world, the way that he lived, how might those patterns both inform and reform the patterns of our lives in this world, so that we may become known as a people who desire to be peacemakers. Indeed, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And it is uh, one of the ways that God is at work through us that we are to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can be reconciled unto God and that we can work together with them to be reconciled Unto one another and so before we unpack these questions together this morning, let's go before the Lord and pray and we'll dive in. Father. We come to you at a time where we can look around our world today and we can see little evidence of peace. And perhaps the reality is, Lord, as you've situated us here, that uh, we're living in a time and space where peace on earth Uh, will be very elusive to us in our context here. And so, Father, we grab hold of the peace that You've given us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. He has allowed for us to have peace with You. We can live in a world that's full of turmoil. We can live in a world that's full of hate, full of bitterness and difficulty, full of war, full of difficult emotions. And we can live... As people with peace. How beautiful. Because of the work of your son Jesus. We can have peace. And father we also seek to be peacemakers. To live as your son lived while he was here on earth. As he lived a life that modeled peace. And and what making peace among men looks like. And might you help us do that, Lord, through what we learn in your text today, your living, active word. Uh, Guide us, direct us, use this time together. Uh, Your spirit is at work even now. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what were the cultural realities that were existing related to peace at the time that Jesus is born? And this is important. I think in history we typically tend to overlooked this reality, but Jesus was born during a time in history that is highly associated with and connected to peace. Now, Jesus was born during a time that was known in the world as the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. It was a time that spanned from 27 BC to 180 AD, and it was roughly 200. Years of unprecedented peace in the world. It was really amazing what was happening during this time. And it really paved the way for the rapid and early spread of Christianity among the people. Trade routes had broken open. People were traveling freely without threat of losing their life or losing their belongings. Uh, There was a language, Koine Greek, it was the language that the New Testament was written in that became the common trade language and common language of the day throughout the known world. The Roman ruler at the time of Jesus' birth was a man known as Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus. Now, that's a lot to say. We know him as Caesar Augustus. And though Jesus was born into a time of peace, that's peace-filled time in history, the peace that the nations were experiencing was not common to the people of the day. From the moment that Jesus was born what we see is that there was a threat upon his life. And this points to the reality that though there was peace among nations, peace among global leaders, there was not truly peace among humankind. It's very interesting, this concept of peace in the Hebrew, it means much more than our word for peace today. When we hear peace today, what are some words that you think of when we hear peace? Throw some words out at me. Quiet. quiet. Yes. What other words? When you hear the word peace, what do you think of? What was that? Harmony. Harmony. Yes. Very good. Anything else? Quiet. Harmony. Peace. What else? What do you think of? What is it? Safe. Safe. Yes. This word in Hebrew, the word is actually shalom. And the word means much More than just serenity, quiet, uh, harmony. All of those things are part of it. But really, it's the idea of wholeness or completeness that's pulled together in this term. And this was not the way that peace was working among humankind at the birth of Jesus. Regarding this time of peace... During the Pax Romano, there's one Roman historian who said this, and you tell me if this sounds like peace. Quote, well, Romans regarded peace not as an absence of war, but the rare situation which existed when all opponents had been beaten down and lost the ability to resist. It was then that you had Peace. Does that sound like peace to you? Opponents broken down? Opponents that had lost the ability to resist? One of these beaten down opponents at the time of Jesus' birth that was existing within the Roman Empire was a group that we identify as the Jewish people. And interestingly enough, they were looking for their own Messiah Or Lord to free them from what they perceived to be Roman oppression. They had been living in centuries of prophetic silence. The voice of God seemed far off from the people. What they had come to know about peace was that it was an ideal that could only be achieved through the attitudes or postures of dominance, intimidation coercion, even fear. Where was the scepter that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10? Long ago, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The long sung scepter of justice, one that they even celebrated and sung about in the book of Psalms, had not yet arrived. There was a rod that represented ultimate authority and rule that would be for all the people of Israel. The star who was to come, who was to crush both the head of the snake and the head of the ruling state. Where was he? Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Why is peace such an important component of the Messiah's birth, man, uh, birth narrative, in this manner, the Jewish people very much were looking for a ruler who was very much like the ruler they knew in their day. They were looking for their own Caesar Augustus. Jesus was not Caesar Augustus, really, in any way. But they needed someone. They wanted someone who would represent their best interest in the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You heard it this morning, but it's so relative. I'll read these two verses again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, the government shall be upon his shoulder we'll do this Micah chapter 5 verse 2 but you O Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be what ruler ruler how was ruler defined in the days of Jesus it was defined by Caesar Augustus And so leaning heavenly on these words from their ancient prophets, the expectations of this long-awaited Messiah weighed upon them. The Bible describes it almost like a woman in the final stages of labor. They were groaning for the coming birth of their soon-coming king. And it's very interesting, even as we enter the New Testament... We find this man whose name is Zechariah. He's the father of John the Baptist. And Zechariah is anticipating that part of his son's ministry will be related to guiding the feet of the Jewish people into the path of peace. Look at the end of his, prop- of his prophecy. It's in verse 79 of Luke chapter 1. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our Feet into the way of what? Peace. Peace. Peace then becomes a very important component of Jesus's narrative. Because this son who was to be born. Was to once and for all be able to make true peace available to all of humanity. So if you have your Bibles you want to take them today and turn to Luke chapter 2. Anybody want to bring a blanket up here and, and act out Linus? It's one of my favorite scenes at Christmas. Linus with his blanket on the stage. If you've never seen it before, Peanuts, you want to see it. It's truly beautiful. Luke chapter 2. We're going to hang out in the book of Luke a lot today. So you can just hang out in the book of Luke with us this morning. Luke chapter two, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. There he is, the ruler, the one with the iron scepter in those days, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. It's beautiful Uh, when when his birth is announced, even to the shepherds in the field, it is an announcement that comes with hope and the prospect of peace. Look down at verses 13 and 14 in that same chapter. And suddenly there was with an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there is a son given. But as it turns out for his people and for many who were living in the world at the time, he looks and he sounds nothing like the ruler that they were expecting. So how was Jesus's ministry on earth associated with peace? How did peace become part of Jesus's earthly ministry from the very beginning of his earthly ministry? We find his ministry characterized by peace, even in his presentation in the temple. Look further down in Luke chapter two at verses twenty five to thirty two. This is a very interesting man that we meet. His name is Simeon. And some of you uh, remember this from the birth narrative. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. He was waiting on what? The consolation of Israel. He was waiting for peace to be comforted. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in what? Peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating was a kingdom that would come to be defined by peace. And it's amazing, Jesus does this early on in his earthly ministry. Luke chapter 7, some of his first miracles, he forgives sin and he sends the prostitute along in peace. Verse 50 of Luke 7, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Again he heals a woman who had been subject to bleeding in Luke chapter 8 a few chapters later verse 48 and look at what he says to her Daughter your faith has made you well go in peace You can flip to Luke chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples two by two. And when they come to a home to share the good news of Christ, they are to enter the home. And when they enter, they are to lead with a message of peace. And for those who received the good news, there was peace and there was joy, it tells us in Luke chapter 10. But for those who rejected it in their unbelief, there was woe. And there was judgment. And so as we consider the ministry of Jesus, a ministry that indeed was identified and indeed we see peace all in and throughout it. Why is it then that peace is such an elusive ideal in the past and today? Would any of us today endeavor to say that we live in a time of peace? Is this time in world history going to be looked back upon and say, boy, that was really a time that there was a lot of peace existing in the world? At least not in the United States. Certainly not. Unbelief, friends. Unbelief and a desire to continue with sin and death rather than in behaviors and attitudes of confession and repentance. It was unbelief and it's still unbelief today that comes to prove that peace on Earth will always be an elusive ideal. We have no peace, friends, because there are many in the world today who live in unbelief. That's why. Jesus brought insight to this in Luke chapter 12 uh, when he would observe how his identity and his baptism would actually divide humanity on earth. Now, this is a sermon about peace, but in order to talk rightly about this, we have to deal with this text in Luke chapter 12. So turn there with me. Luke chapter 12. This is a very important text related to peace in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus. What Jesus is going to do in this text, and he also uh, has the same teaching in the book of Matthew, is he is going to show us how unbelief actually creates division in humanity. Look at what he says, starting in verse forty nine of Luke chapter twelve. I came to cast fire on the earth. And would that it were already kindled verse 50. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? What were the peace that what was the peace they were looking for before we continue? What was the peace they were looking for? It was a visible peace, right? It was the peace that defined the Pax Romana. That kind of peace. That's not the peace that Jesus came to bring. His peace was different. So in this peace, he's resetting their minds on what kingdom peace What true peace, what real peace, what absolute shalom truly looks like. It's not the way the world defines it, friends. Do you think I've come to give peace on this earth? No, not the way you think. I tell you. But rather division. 52, for from now on in one house, there will be five divided against three. Sound familiar? Two. And two against three, they will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law and daughter in law against her mother in law. Friends. Sin and death and unbelief. They have so disrupted humanity and corrupted the world and all who live in it that the ideal of peace appears situated like a relic in an ancient jungle temple. Did you ever see one of those movies where there's a relic in an ancient jungle temple? What happens when that explorer finds the relic and grabs it too fast? What happens to that person It all caves in around them, right? That's kind of the peace that they were looking for wasn't the peace that Jesus was bringing. And on earth, if we think we're going to find it among people, among nations, apart from Jesus Christ, we're going to be left grasping with all of the walls and the floors caving in around us feeling like we're lost and we're going to have to start the search all over again. Or maybe it's like a mirage in the desert. It looks so attainable, doesn't it? Sometimes people oversimplify it and make it seem so. If you could just get that person to sit down with that person, if we could just get that country to sit down with that country, if we could just get them around a table, maybe they could figure it out and then everything would be good. And We would have peace. And as we try to move towards attaining those ideals. And we think we're growing closer and closer and closer. What's the reality with the mirage? Is it there? It's not there. It looks beautiful. It looks ideal. It looks satisfying. It looks like it could provide for us in the desert. But it never ever arrives. On our own efforts and abilities and our strengths and our talents, true peace, friends, it is not attainable, we can't do it. Yet the truth remains, true peace has come into the world in the person of Jesus. Amen. Amen. True peace has come into the world. In the person of Jesus. He is the one who is able to guide our feet in the path of peace. I love what Jesus does in the book of John. I want to finish 1 Corinthians. And can we just go back and start over in John again? I mean, man, I could spend a lifetime in John. I've learned so many new things about John since we last preached it together. I think we could go back through and have an entire different series. And it would be so fun. But I won't do that to you. But every once in a while, we can go back and check it out again. John chapter 14. Jesus does this a beautiful thing for his disciples. There's so much uncertainty. There's there's so much fear, just like in our world today. His disciples are uncertain. They're fear filled. They're anxious. Jesus has just told them My time is near. I'm coming to the cross. My life is about to end here on earth. They are scared. Much like many who are living in our world today. There's great fear. What does Jesus do? I love it. Verse 27. Peace. I leave with you of all the messages. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, this is what Jesus's peace can do, friends. When we are in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our hearts don't have to be troubled in this world, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may what? You may believe, believe, believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. True peace, then friends, true peace, real peace can only come to those who believe on Jesus and his ability to put us in a right relationship with the father. If you know the father. Through the person of Jesus, guess what? Peace. Shalom. Completeness, wholeness. Belief in Jesus as witnessed in our confession and repentance or turning from sin is the only way, friends, that individuals, that communities, that nations can know and experience true and everlasting peace. For those who have believed, Jesus leaves us with his peace and it's a peace that's otherworldly. If you read uh, back before earlier in that text, uh, who is Jesus talking about that he's going to leave us with? Who is he going to leave us with? The Holy Spirit. Yes. Isn't that amazing? It's the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every believer that truly allows us to live in this world in peace without trouble, without troubled spirits and free from fear. And so, friends, church, when we participate in the not peace of the world, we're not living as we were made to be. As new creations in Christ Jesus, we have the spirit, the spirit is here to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to be peaceful people, people who are able to live with great peace, even in a world that is very threatening. Perhaps at times our spirits are troubled, perhaps at times we feel like we are chained and bound by fear. But Jesus has not left us alone. The hope of peace that we have is that he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us. And to empower us. Really to empower us to live as peace bringers, peacemakers and peace keepers in this world. We look at Jesus's life and. His ministry, and we might ask this question. I think it's a great question for us to ask today, because if we're going to endeavor to live like somebody in this world today, probably the person that we ought to endeavor to live like the most is Jesus. In fact, Paul would tell us that in Philippians chapter 2 and many other places, even in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, Right? So how might the peacemaking patterns of Jesus's life in this world both inform and reform, reshape, renovate the peacemaking patterns of our lives in this world? So we look unto Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And what we want to do is we want to take away some peace promoting patterns and postures from his life that we might endeavor to inhabit in our lives today, Jesus says, Abide in me. Abide in me. Right? Jesus considered others as better than himself. He participated with and welcomed in all sorts of people without participating in sin. You can go into the Gospels. Uh, something I'm doing right now in my personal worship time is I'm, I'm rereading all of the Gospels. And I've started in Mark and I'm making notes of uh, the postures and the patterns of Jesus' behaviors with the people in the world uh, when he was ministering on earth. And so uh, right now I'm going slow. I'm in Mark chapter 3 and I'm just working very slowly back through the Gospels I want to endeavor to live with the same attitudes and postures that Christ lived with. And one of the realities that we see with Jesus, it's a peacemaking reality, is that he was able as God to come to earth and to be with and participate and welcome in people from all different backgrounds and walks of life. And he did so without sin, he did it perfectly. There's another pattern. Jesus lived in complete and utter dependence on the father. His first priority was to glorify God. And he wanted to do that by completing the work that God had given him to do. And he was laser focused on that mission. He really was. And it's an example for all of us. Friends, our first priority, our goal in our lives should be To glorify God with the way that we live. And one of the best ways that we can learn how to glorify God is to learn from the patterns and the postures of Jesus's life. Jesus was utterly dependent on the father. Immediately before his death, where do we find Jesus? John chapter 17. Where is he? And what's he doing? To who? Yeah. What a beautiful picture. The son of God. Never less than fully God. On his knees. In the garden. Before his death. Going to the most difficult space that any of us could ever imagine. Taking up the most difficult and torturous type of punishment that any of us could ever fathom. And he's leaning in on the father. He knows That it's only through the help of God. that he's going to be able to carry on. It's incredible. Friends, today in this world we live, there's turmoil all around us. Boy, it would be great for us to inhabit this posture, utter dependence on the father. God, I need you. I need you. I'm scared. I'm uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. It looks difficult in this world. I need you. Help me. Jesus laid down his rights. And his freedoms. Even his very life. Even to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2. 6 through 11. He did this to bear the burdens of a world. That was enslaved by sin. And in doing so. He glorified God. Now I want you to. To think about this, and this is a a chapter that I've uh, said, I want to spend a lot of time in this coming year. Philippians chapter two. Jesus, being fully God. Gave up his rights and freedoms. To come to earth, to be born as a child, had you ever considered that somebody changed Jesus's dirty diapers. Somebody did it. He didn't do it himself. The humility. Of our God. The humility of our Savior. To do this. To give it up. To bear our burden. He was crushed for our what? Iniquities. Our chastisement was laid upon him. Friends, in this world, we are going to be called, we have been called by Jesus, not to take up the scepter, but to take up the what? The cross. One scholar said, not only is the cross the signature of Jesus's earthly ministry, but it's also the shape of both his and And ours. How many rights and freedoms. Does a disciple of Jesus have. On a cross. It's a beautiful challenge. What a way to be a peacemaker. What a way to live differently in this world. When everyone in this world is looking for the iron scepter. That kind of rule. That kind of authority. My heart was so broken. A few weeks ago, I was on the phone. I don't know if I've shared this before or not with you. If I have, please excuse me. I was on the phone with a local leader. I'm going to put it that way, because I don't want to be too descriptive. He's in politics. And I was just talking to him about The position that he was in. And he's a brother in Christ. And he broke my heart. He said to me on the phone. He said, you know, Chris. He said, in a world today, we need strong men. And you know what I think about that, and you think just like I do, strong men lead, weak men bow. I'll take up my cross and I'll bow. Every single day. And if I'm weak because of that, then I'm going to glory in that weakness, because then it's the power of God and his strength that's at work through me. I don't need to be a strong man. Don't give me a scepter. Give me a cross. Give me humility. Put me on my knees and put me before the Father. I am a sheep, friends. I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm hearing a lot in our world today from people who claim to be in Christ. That scares me. That breaks my heart because it's not the way of peace. The way of peace says, give up your rights, give up your freedoms, even to the point where you lay down your very life Take up your cross and follow me. And it's going to be hard. I don't excuse that fact. It's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. The Christian life is not one that you can inhabit and seek comfort. Jesus doesn't call us to comfort. It's often very uncomfortable and often very unsettling. Jesus hung on the cross. And as he hung there, the people that were gathered around him, many of them were mocking him, tormenting him, persecuting him. And he didn't have many breaths left in his lungs. He didn't have many words left to say. So the words that he had to use, he had to choose very, very wisely. The last that he wanted the people of the world to know before he went to the Father, before he said, it is finished. What did he do? What did he say? Forgive them. And if that's the pattern of my Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, if that's the posture that he's inhabiting, one of forgiveness and persecution, In the face of persecution. And that's the pattern. And the posture that I want to have it inhabit. In my life as well. The lives of true believers. Should come to be characterized. And filled with peace friends. The greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. In the greatest sermon he preached. He said blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Jesus' disciples and his early church leaders picked up and they carried this theme throughout their writings into the early churches. And the reality is that those who have been given this peace with God through Jesus should live in a visible way that demonstrates the reality of that peace here on earth. And so the Apostle Paul defines one of the fruits of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who we've been given as a helper, is the fruit of what? Peace. Paul also said in his letter to the Romans, If possible, if possible, as much as it depends on you, and that you is plural to the congregation gathered in Rome, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably. With all people. In his farewell address to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians at the end of the book. Finally brethren. Farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace. Will be with you. If it was Paul who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Here too. He remarked. Pursue Peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And finally, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about wisdom from above. And when he described the hallmarks of that wisdom, he said that it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. He then goes on to say that the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Friends, the postures and the patterns of our life and our lives, if they're going to be in line with the postures and the patterns of our Messiah, need to be ones that are tuned towards peace making and not peace breaking. And we're going to need the Spirit's help to do that. So as our team comes, let's pray and ask Him to guide and direct our efforts. Father, we are so thankful for Your Son, Jesus. We are so thankful that He has made peace with You a possibility. We are so thankful that we can live in this messed up, misshaped world today as people. Of peace. We're so thankful that you leave us. With your spirit. Who can guide us to be people of peace. Lord, we pray as we go about our week this week, as we go about our season, this season, over the course of the next few weeks and months, May these ideals be ever before us. And may we be so bold as to share with those who do not know you. That the only way to true and everlasting peace would be with a relationship in Jesus. And that in him we can have peace with you. And through him we can pursue peace with those around us. Help us to do this. Help us to give you the glory and the patterns and the postures of our lives.